0: Welcome to Lucky Paper Radio. I am your host, Andy. I am here with my co-host, Anthony, deep in the machine, writing his own shaders, Maddox. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Andy. Do you want to explain what a shader is?
1: Yeah, let's talk about shaders. Uh, (laughs) So there's this whole thing with computers where they draw pictures. And that's that's one of the coolest things that computers do. And we also have all these awesome abstract tools that let us draw pictures easier. So you have a, a program that you can say, draw a circle here or, you know, take this whole image that I got from somewhere and draw it here. That abstraction comes at a cost. It comes at the cost of speed. So you can draw pictures much, much faster if you sort of work without that layer of abstraction and actually write little programs that get compiled and run directly on the graphics processor of your computer. And when you're not you know, dealing with all this abstraction, this complicated logic that knows how to draw circles and draw images and draw rectangles, all it knows is triangles. It just can draw triangles. But the benefit is uh, when you're doing things really manually and you have your program that only can draw one specific thing, it can draw that specific thing really, really fast
0: I thought you were gonna say no, we don't have time to talk about shaders. No, that's to-
1: all I wanna talk about okay. is shaders.
0: <laughs> Great. This is a bit of a special episode, Anthony. We are talking about the latest Lucky Paper project, which is a new map in the spirit of the cube map. Before we get into the details, we got to bring in our special guest. Of course, we have Jet, the Gerardus Mercator of Casual Magic, Crowdus. I is that a magic card? Most famous map maker, Gerardus Mercator. Named oh, after the, the Mercator, Mercator projection. projection. Or vice versa. Yeah. Projector's named after him. Yeah, I was It'd be really funny that if there was a map projection and they named a kid <laughs> after it and he became a great map maker. Uh,
1: yes, I changed my name to Globe after becoming a famous map maker.
0: Yeah, Gerardus Mercator, apparently. I did some Google searches for famous map makers. He was consistently number one.
1: I wonder if that inspired the name of Gerard from the Weatherlight story. Ooh, what an
0: interesting question. He wasn't the navigator, though. That was Hannah. Oh, true. He was just like a dude. Anyway, hi, Jet. Welcome back. Hello. It's been so long since you've been on the show because you're off getting a PhD. You don't have time to talk about set reviews with us anymore. Are you still playing Magic, Jet? Or are you just in uh, in School Island?
2: Uh, I am still playing much Magic. Fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, I'm doing an MD instead of a PhD, but... You know oh yeah i can't keep i can't keep them all straight <laughs> yeah i still uh, i still play cube pretty regularly with my play group we actually really have gotten into uh roto drafts, or rotisserie dress as of as of late and those have been a lot of fun
0: yeah those are great i really love those do you roto draft the cube and then build it in paper build the decks in paper and play them out in paper
2: or are you playing digitally as well uh no i mean my play group is basically scattered throughout the us and so we basically gotcha. we just exclusively play online well we're glad to have you back jet and uh the occasion is
0: to talk about our latest project which I'm just going to hand over to you two because uh, I've had very little to do with this project transparently, so I'm here to kind of host maybe the podcast. I'll be asking questions, but really this is uh, this is your two time to shine. This is a project long in the making.
2: Yeah, so the the project that we, I guess now, will have recently published when this episode is released is the the Commander Map. So regular listeners of the show will know that we recently published, I guess not even recently anymore, like a year ago, we published the Cube Map which is like a two-dimensional representation of all the cubes on Cube Cobra. Uh, and the Commander map is much the same, but for Commander decks. This data set is a, is a lot bigger. Anthony had to work with a, a lot more triangles, and it's uh, a map of over 1.2- <laughs> Well, 1. critically 2. fewer triangles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it seemed like you had a, a lot more trouble with this one than the last one. I, did, I mean, I did too on my end. But it is a uh, a map of over 1.2 million Commander decks, from EDHREC.
1: Yeah, so this project is super exciting. It is, like Jet said, exactly the same as what we did with the cube map. We've taken every single deck that EDHREC has, and they have decks from all different sources. If you're not familiar with EDHREC, it's hard to imagine you're not, but it's a a website for Commander players to sort of learn about their different commanders and different decks and the format in general, sort of what are the key cards that are played with different commanders, things like that. Uh, So they've collated 1.2 million decks, and we've taken those and algorithmically organized them into two-dimensional space based on just the cards they contain so not based on any other information or metadata and the way the algorithm works is it basically takes Every card and treat that as a dimension. So if we say this particular deck has rampant growth in it, that's a dimension, and you can be on one of two sides of this very short axis. Either it does or it doesn't. And then we could take another card, say Counterspell, and then graph every deck card based on those two values and say, well, it's a scatter plot that really only has four meaningful spaces, but you can be anywhere in that scatter plot of those two axes of the presence of two cards. And we can do that in the third dimension, add a third card, and now that we can That one's graph still things. kind
0: of imaginable. You yeah, can kind of imagine what the th- three-dimensional one looks like.
1: And then we can actually just keep going and add every single card as a dimension, and it is impossible for us to imagine because we're not Tralfamagorians, but it mathematically is meaningful to have this 20,000 dimensional scatter plot of all the cubes. So what the algorithm does is it I'll takes that 20,000 yeah. dimensional... Uh, yeah, sorry. We've been doing this uh, for too many different things, and I'm getting mixed up. So we have this scatter plot of all these Commander decks in 20,000-dimensional space. And what this algorithm does is it flattens it out. It sort of takes that. And much like taking a globe and smoothing it out onto two-dimensional space, it tries to take that. Like
0: the Mercator projection. Just
1: like the Mercator projection. Smooth it out into two-dimensional space so we can look at what the defining features of that high-dimensional form actually look like. So just like a map projection, things aren't necessarily going to be in exactly the same relative spaces or quite the right size. But the important thing is sort of the the major geographic features, the continents and the, the shape of their edges, their their coastlines is going to be preserved as much as the algorithm possibly can. How would I do as a, a non-technical person to take a stab at explaining that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was pretty much spot on. It's, it's a very hard process to understand this idea of Reducing this 20,000 dimensional scatter plot as you put it down into two dimensions. But uh, I think that's a really good way of thinking about it. I think another analogy that I find uh, helpful is when you think about reducing 20,000 dimensions down to two, really what the algorithm is looking for is it's looking for relationships between dimensions, or in this case, relationships between cards. So for example, In the 20,000 dimensional space, there is an individual dimension for Deceiver Exarch and Splinter Twin, right? Those are two unique dimensions. But we know that those cards are often played in decks together. And so you might say, well, I'm going to define a dimension that represents Deceiver Exarch and Splinter Twin, and a deck will have a one in that dimension if it plays both. It will have a zero in that dimension if it plays neither and like 0.5 if it plays one of them. And so essentially then what you've done is you've reduced those two original dimensions down to one, right? And in doing so, of course, you lose information, you know, because there are lots of decks that will play Splinter Twin with green cards, right, in Commander. And so you've essentially lost kind of a piece of that information. But because the relationship exists and that correlation exists originally. Um, when you do that reduction, you still retain some information. And so basically that's how the algorithm is roughly approaching this process. It's looking at relationships between cards and the decks that they're played in and using that to preserve information down to two dimensions. Uh, an- another analogy I think that that Anthony has described before is there's this idea of, of shadows, right? So if you have a three-dimensional object like a, a lamppost, you know, sitting in the sun, and then this sun uh, will cast a shadow on the lamppost, that shadow is like a two-dimensional representation of the 3D lamppost, right? And if the, the sun moves to different places, then you know, you're know you going to get different shadows, but each of them is equally valid, right? And so uh, I think another important point to think about is that when you look at this map, when you look at this complicated two-dimensional representation of the Commander format, it, it is not objectively correct, right? It's just one way of of looking at the format.
1: Right. And sort of the, the outcome of all this cool, rigorous math is we have this visual representation of what the commander format looks like in the sense that the decks that share the most cards are going to tend to be closer together on the map. So what that means is we have all these different regions and clusters and different geographic features that represent something about the way that people build decks and prominent forces that are, are going to be very visible on the map immediately are things like color identity and commander and prominent themes that people build decks around if you're building a blue deck, there's going to be a lot of cards that a lot of blue decks share. That's going to drive those commander decks to be closer together. So you'll end up seeing this region of, this is primarily the mono blue commander decks. But within that then, you'll see all kinds of other features of, well, this region is, more high-budget decks that include a lot of particular cards that just have a budget threshold. Or this region is all about spells matter or artifacts or one really popular commander that just sort of has this whole sort of island or part of that that continent to itself. Uh, so that's really where the value of this tool comes from.
0: Yeah, or importantly to me, like I think one of the most fascinating things about this is a lot of those groupings will be things that maybe We don't have a word for, right? Right, Like some some facet, some aspect of these decks that ties them together that maybe we haven't identified and labeled. It's not a tribe. It's not a mechanic that has a name. It's just some value in deck building that causes these decks to be sort of grouped together in a way that's very fascinating.
1: Yeah, I think that's super valuable because when we talk about a format like Commander, it's easy to sort of talk using the words we already have, but there might be just aspects of the format that we just don't have words to talk about and so they get missed so just giving us a different perspective and maybe forcing us to reevaluate do we can we actually invent new words to describe these things that are definitely happening they're they're present and they're motivating players to build decks in certain ways but we just don't necessarily have a way to talk about them
0: we got pretty deep in the math right out of the gate so uh hopefully we didn't lose too many people there But I I thought it might be interesting for us just to talk about maybe our background with Commander, especially for you two, uh, you know, kind of where you come from with your relationship to the format. You know, we talk about Cube mostly on this show, but that's not the only kind of Magic we play. So, Anthony, do you want to give your background in Commander first?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like Commander is just such an important part of the, the Magic experience today. Not just in the fact that it is huge, like it is such a popular format, but I feel like it's also just ubiquitous in a way that everybody... They might be a, a primarily a modern player or a cube player or a limited player, but everybody it seems has that commander deck somewhere stashed away that they can they can bring out, which is just awesome. It's sort of this like unifying w- way to connect to people, right? It's like, oh, okay, we're done with the draft, but do you have a commander deck on you? Absolutely, and that that just isn't true in the same way for you know pauper decks or for modern decks or anything else. So I'm just like everyone else. It's not the primary way that I play, but of course I've got four or five commander decks stashed away. It was a big part of the way that you and I both got into playing magic altogether for sure. we started playing limited and then sort of kitchen table and then somebody brought up this idea of playing commanders and it's just such an evocative format as well because you have this this hook it's like oh here's my commander how am i going to build around it it makes it easy to talk about the decks it makes it easy to think about building the decks and i mean it's just fun to build the decks to have that that focal point so yeah we played a lot a lot of commander for years and every once in a while we still still bring out our, our decks you even just built a brand new deck right for
0: the first time in like five years i actually went and checked my old deck stats dot net account to figure out when the last commander deck I built was and it was five years ago so that's wow yeah so first commander deck in five years but you know yeah I'm I'm coming back to it a little bit I mean yeah I, I think you said it very nicely for all the reasons that commander is the most popular way to play magic that's why we were drawn into it when we first started playing and we eventually found our way to cube which is you know maybe Like a a layer deeper in the matrix, you got to be a little next
1: evolution of the Pokemon. (laughs) You got to be a little more invested,
0: but uh, but you know it pays off in dividends for those that are invested in that format. And so you know, like, get a lot of Cube, spend a lot of time thinking and talking about and playing Cube now. But like you said, it's really nice to have that one format that you know almost any Magic player can play with you.
2: I think much like much like you guys, Cube was the or sorry, Commander. I'm mixing up my beloved formats. Commander was the first sort of curated non kitchen table format that I actually got involved in and so I started playing it I think back in 2011 or 2012 I had a really jank rune flicker deck and I would go to my LGS and I would get absolutely beat down by uh, all the much more streamlined decks that, um, that were Batman there. Back then it was like
0: Sharoom the Hegemon, not Shroom, uh what's the Aloro?
2: Aloro. Aloro, Sharoom that was back when Prophet of Crufix was legal that was a really fun card um, Ooh buddy, Led to showing some, your age I know you're, right? You're old head now <laughs> <laughs> Led to some really fun and interactive gameplay but yeah I mean I started uh, and so I was playing Commander since then and that was actually just the format that I played the most of, I, I played it a lot back during that time, it was also I think the format that first got me hooked on actually curated formats within Magic. Um, I think it, it, it made me a better player. I think that was the format where I, I found out that uh, a green sun for eight from your opponent that had a, a very large board could not be answered by a Doom Blade.
0: Oh, yes. distinctly
2: remember <laughs> losing like that. Losing a game I was very far ahead. And yeah, and so that was the main way that I played. And then eventually uh, in college, I met my current play group and they exclusively played Limited and actually kind of didn't really like Commander very much. and I kind of discovered Cube as a bridge between Limited and Commander. I think Cube and Commander share a lot of similarities. I think they're both formats that are full of self-expression. They're both formats that emphasize a lot of varied gameplay, right, with the singleton nature of the formats. And so I think that was what kind of led us to Cube. And, you know, that's the format we play primarily now, but we still play Commander pretty regularly. You know, like I mentioned, we play online probably every weekend or so. and you know, because we're online, we're able to try out new decks basically whenever we want. And I've actually found the commander map really helpful for that. Just being able to pull up. Oh, you know, I'm interested in this new commander that was just published. Let me try to find a commander deck that kind of fits the power level of my playgroup. You know, EDH rec, I think, was was the resource that I used for that at first, because, you know, you can pull up the commander deck and you can kind of see which cards are useful. And you can actually, with some digging, find individual deck lists. but I found very often that the lists were like not the right power level. They were either too low powered or kind of above the power level that I was aiming for. But well, we'll talk about some of the interesting things about the commander map. But one of the things that I've really loved is you can see all of the different ways to build an individual commander. And you can kind of get a sense for relative power level as well. And so you can kind of navigate to where your play group sits at and download a deck list and just, and just run with it. And so that's what uh, I've been doing lately, and it's been a lot of fun.
0: So let's get into actually a little bit more of how the map actually gets made. Right, we have this data from EDHREC. Big thank you to EDHREC for making that data available to us. And Jet, you've written some some maths that uh, that run on that data to produce the the basically the array of the map, correct?
2: Yeah. I mean, thankfully, other people have written the <laughs> essentially written the math for me, and they it exists as software that I basically run. But you know, like Anthony mentioned before, basically we take all of the decks from EDHREC, which is a little over 1.2 million commander decks. At time of recording. At time of recording. It is actually growing pretty substantially, I think, within the last few months. I think we only recently crossed the 1 million
1: deck. I think it was 800,000 when we started working on this. Which
0: was almost a year ago. We actually started working on this map almost a year ago. That's wild. <laughs> the cube map is almost two years old. It's It's been, it's been a minute.
1: Yeah,
2: and so uh, we take all of those deck lists, and there are also kind of assigned themes and tribes to those deck lists, and so I think EDHREC does this through a semi-automated process. Well, they will look at a deck and say, oh, you know, I think over 30% of the creatures in this deck are elves. This must be an elves deck. And so it kind of assigns it the label of elves. And so we also have those assignments for each deck list. And then essentially what we do is we represent each deck as a piece of data, like Anthony was describing, in this 20,000-dimensional space, right? The decks will get a one for each card that they play in that space and a zero for each card that they don't. Generally, each deck will play on the order of about 80 unique cards. Uh, And so then we essentially do that for all of the deck lists. And then we run this algorithm, which takes that 20,000 by 1.2 million data set and then projects it into two dimensions. And that's essentially how we end up with the coordinates of the map. And I should also note that I've written an article that describes in more detail the the math process that goes into this. And that will also be published when the map is released. And so if you're curious, you can take a look there. But that gives us the coordinates to the deck list. But we also do some other math behind the scenes to kind of group deck lists into clusters. And those clusters tend to follow commanders. They tend to follow tribes and themes, but not always. Uh, And so you can end up with some really cool clusters that are like the old bordered cluster, where there's a bunch of different commanders that people are playing. but it's full of old bordered cards, right? The algorithm itself has no idea that these cards are old bordered, right? It just knows that these are cards that are commonly played in old bordered decks, and so they end up close together on the map. And then afterwards, we can kind of do some additional math to identify, hey, this is a group that has a specific trait associated with it. And so those are kind of the, um, if you click around the map, you'll see that it will often highlight a cluster. And those are the clusters that are associated with, uh, with each decklist.
1: So you mentioned these algorithms, they're not something we wrote from scratch just for magic cards. These are actually used in data science to solve real world problems. What kind of problems this is a actually real world get problem? Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Right. This I'm sure this is the reason that they designed it. It's really interesting, actually. Dimensionality reduction, which is this process of going from 20,000 dimensions or whatever down to two is actually a really general problem that people use to study lots of different things. And so You know, I'm a medical student. I think a lot of people are really interested in applying this uh, algorithm to biology. That was actually one of the reasons it was first developed. And so you can actually like measure the genes that are expressed in individual cells. There are roughly actually on the order of 20,000 genes, just like there are 20,000 magic cards and you can get an expression value for each cell. And then you can actually run this exact same algorithm with very little tweaking and you will end up with like a 2D map of the cells in someone's body. And when people did that, they noticed that like, hey, muscle cells will like cluster together over here and hey, immune cells will cluster over here. And so people actually like use this pretty frequently in, in science to explore the, the diversity that exists there. And so I, I thought it was really cool that actually much
1: the same thing was possible for magic. And so it's been really fun to see those parallels. That's amazing. I mean, you can think of it almost the same way. Like, you can make a deck of literally any combination of random magic cards, right? And you'd have this sort of, like, uniform-filled space. Same with any, like, random collection of gene expressions. But neither of those is meaningful. Like, what's important is the pattern of, like, how do certain cards get put together? How do certain genes get put together? And what? And then looking at those patterns and figuring out what is meaningful about this. Is it a muscle cell or is it an old border card? Like, that's that's so cool. Yeah, actually,
2: much the same way that that old-bordered cluster commonly plays well i guess every deck commonly plays soul ring so that's not really um that's not really a fair one but you know we'll commonly play all of these old bordered cards it turns out jeweled amulet jeweled amulet that's a perfect one and also cube relevant so i like that you know muscle cells will commonly express genes that are related to energy metabolism right the the expression of those genes will tend to drive those cells to cluster together and so the parallels are actually almost exact
1: Wow, I learned so much every time we talk about this project.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's the great joy of working on stuff. Not just
1: about uh, triangles.
0: I think it'd be helpful to address what I imagine are going to be some very common questions about the map uh, here in greater detail. There'll also be FAQs and written articles for people to reference. But one question we get about the cube map all the time uh, that we know is something that is kind of unintuitive to people is what the axes mean on the graph, right? Like, what is the x axis? What is the y axis? And importantly for the way this math works and the way this visualization works, they have no meaning, right? It's not that the x-axis is power level and the y-axis is budget or anything like that. It's just that these decks are positioned relative to each other in space without any meaning to the axes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that when people look at a bunch of dots on a page, they often jump to, oh, this is a scatter plot, and that's like a familiar experience they've had, so they want to interpret it the same way. But this is this is just not a scatter plot in that sense. It's just like flattening out that map and squishing it into whatever shape makes the most sense.
0: So we could rotate it or whatever and it wouldn't lose any of its meaning because the axes are not particularly important. The other thing I expect a lot of people are going to want to do that unfortunately they can't do is say where is my commander deck list in this map if my commander deck list is on one of the sites that pushes their data to edh can i find it and see how it compares to other decks and the way that the data we get from edh works is that we don't have any identifying information it's kind of anonymized so there is no way to actually search for your own deck on the map
1: there is a way to search for it and it's to search
0: for it <laughs> so yes you, actually- you can look at every little dot and try and find the one that is your list
1: if you wanted to We also link to the source of where that deck came from, so even though we don't have the metadata associated with it, if you want to dig through and explore and find your decks in the map, we'd love to hear it if you succeed. That
2: is true, but I'll also mention that it's actually not that hard to find decks that are very similar to yours. So for example, I have a a Xenagos God of Rebels EDH deck, Um, and it's not competitive, but it's also not very casual. And if you go to the Xenagos God of Rebels sub-map, basically all of the decks that are associated just with Xenagos, you know, you can see that there exists a spectrum on the maps generally that is kind of related to budget. You could interpret that as competitiveness however you want to do it, but it's actually usually not that hard with just some clicking around to, to find decks that are of a similar style to your deck. And so I think it's still useful in that sense. But yeah, you're right. There's there's no way to at least at this point to find your deck. That's a good time, I think, to talk about the sub-maps,
0: which you kind of mentioned in passing. But this project is not one map. It's not just the Commander map. It's actually... How many maps is a total jet? Thousands of maps, correct? 3,563, I think. Right. So because at the highest level, things like color identity and Commander are such strong forces to dictate the relatedness of decks, right? Like, it's really difficult for a zombie deck from two different commanders of two different color identities to, you know, be near other zombie decks because those color identities are going to have such a strong pull in this sort of system. So in order to kind of address that and provide some more nuanced perspective into individual commanders, there is a map for all of the commanders, basically, correct?
1: Yeah, so there's a map for every commander. There's also a map for themes and tribes and color identities. So you can take all these different attributes, which when you click on a deck, you'll see a bunch of information listed about it. And you can highlight every one of those attributes and see how it's distributed across the main map. But then you can also zoom in and see the map of just those individual values, which is really cool because, like you're saying, it just gives more space for a lot of these more nuanced, more subtle patterns to emerge.
0: And this takes some digging. But, like, for example, you know, if I click, around here and one of my favorite tribes if people know my edh deck is goblins and so if i dig through here and look at the goblins map you know the the biggest terminator of sort of position for the goblins map is the mono red goblins decks are in kind of their own spot and then you have the grumgully and uh wart decks with the red green goblin decks which are in the middle then you have the red black ones and the jund ones But then, you know, there's also a lot of other detail and nuance there. Like, for example, the Zadahedron Grinder decks, or the ones that are built around Zadahedron Grinder's ability, which is not really a goblin thing, even though that commander happens to be a goblin, are isolated on their own little island, right? Because they have so many similar cards and so few cards that overlap with the more typical tribal decks that they have their own sort of little extension there. And so each one of these tribes, commanders, color identities, just has a lot of detail to be explored and... We're getting a perspective into this world that we have never had before, right? Like without a map like this, you have to kind of speculate as to how these different decks break down and the relatedness of different themes within a commander or whatever. And now we actually get to see some perspective into it for the first time.
2: I remember, for example, when we were first creating the map, I, I was I was poking around a little bit and I went to the the feather feather the redeem submap. I think many people who have played against Feather kind of have this conception that feather is one style of deck, right? Many people build feather decks similarly. It's kind of this Voltron card advantage related deck, right? And I think when I thought about Feather, that's what I imagined, right? I, I kind of saw Feather as kind of this linear commander. But you know, if you go to Feather submap, you can actually see a huge diversity of the way that people choose to build Feather. It is true. There are many decks that kind of of that Voltron card advantage style, but there are also like feather storm decks, feather tribal decks that are based on like flying and birds. And there are feather blink decks and all of those, they exist on the same sub map, but they form individual little clusters. And, you know, you can kind of click around and see what's driving those individual clusters and forces, which was just really cool to me.
1: We can even combine both of these actions at the same time. You can zoom in to see just the feather decks and then highlight the angel tribal decks or the storm decks on that map and just see the couple of points and and where they're clustering in their own little spaces. It's also worth mentioning each of these submaps of particular subsets of decks defined by different attributes is generated sort of from scratch. So we have the main map. Everything is laid out relative to each other, and then we take this subset of data and put it on its own through right. that mapping algorithm. So the location and the relative positions of things on the main map doesn't necessarily correlate to how things look on the submap, which
0: Yeah, you're not getting a crop of the main map. Exactly. You're getting that. a brand new map that is only based on the cards that are within that particular submap's Data.
1: which is maybe it feels like there's a little bit of a disconnect and loss of continuity there but on the other hand it actually is very powerful that all these other other sort of aspects of the way that people build decks get to come forth when there's not so much pressure from all these other decks surrounding it you might even see for example if you look at elves on the main map you'll see there's a big chunk if you highlight that in the the mono green section of decks and there's also a chunk in this black green and there's a couple discrete areas where you'll find concentrations of elves decks. And then when you zoom into just elves, you see how those all sort of fit together in in a, a very cool way.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's also it's also worth talking about some important points related to the map. And uh, I think Andy hinted at this before, but the commander in the generation of this map is actually no more important than any of the other cards in the deck. You know, and that was something that we thought a little bit about when we were making the map, right? Because You know, you can construct the math such that the commander matters more, but we didn't want to put in, I guess, kind of that value judgment on on top of the data, and we just wanted to let it speak for itself, I guess, in some sense. And so the commander doesn't matter any more than any individual card, but, you know, you still see commanders emerge as defining forces because they influence the types of cards that are played, right? So, for example, Prosper Tombbound decks are playing a lot of treasure cards by virtue of being prosper decks, those decks will play a lot of similar cards. And so they still tend to, or the commander still tends to influence where decks lie on the map, but the algorithm actually has no idea what a commander is.
0: Yeah, I think it's worth reiterating that the only thing that is determining the position of every deck on this huge map is just the cards it contains. We're not manually telling it, hey, put all the Golgari decks over here. We're not manually telling it, hey, put all of the feather decks in this space. That all is just a byproduct of only looking at the cards the deck contains. So, you know, theoretically, if there was a deck that had the exact same 99, but, you know, a different commander at the helm, those decks are going to be really close to each other, even though they're totally different commanders because they share so many cards in common.
1: Yeah, and it's actually cool. You'll see that pretty often. And it's its easy to look at this with color because the points are actually colored based on the commander's color identity. But if you look at, say, the Selesnia section, you'll see a couple, you know, here's a Naya deck sprinkled in, which just happens to be someone's built a Naya deck that likely has very few red cards. Yep. And so for that reason, it, it's actually more similar to uh, the rest of the Selesnia decks.
2: Yeah, I think it's worth now talking a little bit about just some of the cool things that we found in exploring this, I know I have managed to waste a lot of time as Anthony's been been tinkering around with kind of the web development on this, just spending hours on this map exploring things. I think one anecdote that was really cool for me to see is that one of my favorite things to do as of late has been looking at the, the recent commanders, just like seeing commanders that uh, have recently reprinted and seeing how people are choosing to build them and ways that they're exploring them. I was looking at Rocco Cabaretti Caterer, which is an is an uncommon legend, and it's uh, X red green white for a three one. And then when Rocco Carabikator enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you may search your library for a creature card with mana value X or less, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. If you look at Rocco's submap, you know you'll see kind of some similar things. People are thinking about this as like a Naya value engine, you know, with Rocco maybe being able to like fetch out key pieces. But there was one like really unique cluster that was standing outside of the main landmass of decks. And when I looked at it, the number one card that was played in the deck was Norin the Wary. For, for those of you that have never oh, had the man. misfortune of playing against this card. Um, uh,
0: I had a five color Norin deck back in the day. I, I did this thing where, you know, Norin is this card that I'm sure you're about to explain yet where basically anytime anything happens, Norin just goes away and then comes back at the end of the turn. So if you he's attack, a, he's you cast a spell, you know, he just, he's just staying out of, out of dodge which uh, it's just one mana creature that's very hard to interact with for your opponents. And then if you can put things into play that get value off of your creature ending the battlefield, you can accrue a lot of value. But it's uh, it's a card that in mono red, you have very few things that actually combo with Norrin or do anything with him. So back in the day, I did build a five color Norin deck that had a bunch of creature tutors to try and find Norrin and put him into play and then took advantage of all of the five color ways to do that. And it's so cool that now Rocco exists as a way to just tutor norin directly into play from the command zone which uh, makes that deck way more consistent i imagine
2: yeah and it was just really cool to like see that and like be like hey i I recognize that this deck is a little bit different or this cluster of decks is a little bit different like what is defining these decks and then kind of piecing it together was really cool i would never have like had the ingenuity to like google rocco norin deck right like if i was interested in playing that deck but being able to see that as a unique theme that existed on Roccos Submap was just like a really accessible way for me to find that style of deck building, uh, which was really cool. And you know you can see all sorts of wacky things emerge merge on various submaps. And so you know one of my favorite finds was on the uh, Aloro ageless aesthetic deck, there's a, a cluster of chair tribal. EDH decks and, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know, you guys maybe not were not around back in the, the the older days of EDH, but I distinctly remember watching like the old YouTube videos of like David McDarby and like Star City Games, like that was how I first got into Magic content and they used to play EDH and they had a Stair Tribal or uh, a Chair Tribal Aloro deck and I was like, wow, that deck is so cool and funny. And then, you know, I was just poking around the Aloro submap and like managed to find them again, which was really just like a blast from
1: the past. That's amazing. I mean, it's just it's just really speaks to the creativity and how much work people have put into to exploring this world and building all kinds of weird decks to express their unique personalities. I think another
2: really cool thing about some of the submaps is that as you poke around them, you'll notice that some of them. Some of them can look a little bit odd, just depending on how the the individual commander is built and how what diversity exists in the way to build that commander. But many of them will also kind of have some commonalities between them. And one of the biggest commonalities is that you know the landmass will kind of be uh, arranged, and then you know at the at the north end of the landmass you'll see decks that are clearly competitive decks, decks that have uh, all of the original duels. Decks that have cards like Lotus Petal, Chrome Mox, Mox Diamond, Dockside Extortionist, right? All of the cards that we tend to associate with competitive EDH decks or just streamlined EDH decks, right? Decks that are focused on optimizing for power level.
0: And just to be clear, you're giving North as an example of where it might be. It's not that it's always the North on every single map. Right, exactly. It could be one. one, Any point on the map could be any extremity of that sort of blobulous shape you get for each commander's submap any extremity could be the extremity that is where people have infinite money or are proxying or whatever, and just, uh, you know, no holds barred.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then often what will happen is on the other end, right? So if it's north, the other end is south or if east, west, whatever, uh, you will find a collection of budget decks, right? Or a collection of decks where maybe people are not optimizing for power level. And so you'll, you know, you'll have cards like guild gates so or you'll have what people would commonly consider budget options for that particular commander. I just thought that was really cool to see because I know at least personally, I have always thought of particular commanders as being like competitive or casual, right? So, for example, like Thrasios and Timna, that's like a CEDH deck, right? Most that's people, what I think when you say that, for sure. Right, exactly, and and not without good reason, right? Many Thrasios and Timna decks um, will be competitive, and as a percentage of all of Thrasios and Timna decks, it's definitely higher than other commanders but it turns out people do actually build budget thrassios and timna decks that are not based on killing people on turn 3 or whatever right and so you can see that on the submap and one of the things that i always found a little bit disappointing when poking around trying to find suggestions for decks was that you would get presented with kind of a power level that was the average right kind of a power level that was the average of decks that contain that commander so for example if you look for suggestions for thrassios and timna Many of the suggestions that you will get uh, online are kind of centered around this idea of Thrasios and Timna being a powerful combination of cards that, that lends to a more competitive build, and the same is true of EDH rec, right? So the recommended cards from EDH rec will, by and large, be competitive cards. But uh, on the Thrasios um, and Timna submap, you can kind of poke around and you can see these cards that are less competitive, right? And you can see builds that are less competitive and As I mentioned before, my playgroup doesn't play super competitive, but it's reasonably streamlined. And so, you know, I can find just the right deck list in searching that spectrum of power level that exists. And it's been really cool to be able to explore that and and find something that that fits my needs. Yeah, I mean,
0: the cube map, which is the map that predates this and kind of inspired the work on this, we really made that because there was a lot of people that would talk about the cube community or allude to the like breadth and depth and variety of cubes out there. And, you know, in the cube world, if you're not familiar, the magic online cubes are so much more visible than everybody else's cubes that a lot of people think that's just what cube is. And so a big part of our motivation for making the cube map was to say, Hey, actually look, there is a wide diversity of novel, interesting cubes out there that are nothing like the magic online cubes at all that are exploring their own interesting territories and this is very similar I think. You know, I think like you're saying jet people probably have preconceived notions about what certain color identities do, what certain commanders do or, you know, how to build a certain type of deck. And if you use the tools like EDHREC, what you're going to see is, you know, naturally, the most common thing because that's what EDHREC is designed to do. And this is not at all meant to replace any part of EDHREC, right? Like EDHREC, no, EDHREC, it's EDHREC does its EDHREC job very makes, well.
1: EDHREC yes. makes simple questions or actually still pretty complicated questions easy to answer and yes. very straightforward. It's a really powerful tool. This is a little bit more cumbersome to answer very specific questions but on the other hand you get this much easier to explore experience where you can literally see all of these decks that get get a little bit occluded when you aggregate that data.
0: Exactly, yeah. So our, our goal here is largely to you know kind of peel back the curtain a little bit on the depth of the format of Commander and on how many different ways you can actually build these different kinds of decks because that is... One of the other great things that links Commander and Cube is that uh, these are formats that you don't have to play in an optimized fashion, and most people don't, right? Aside from CEDH, you know, people are not trying to optimize their decks solely for win rate at the cost of nothing else. Uh, they are they have some theme they like, they have some pet cards in there, they're constrained by budget, and the nature of the format allows these decks to still be viable. You can still play in a pod with other people, and this map allows you to kind of see all of that beautiful diversity in a way that it would be interesting in a different way, but you know, to make a map of modern or whatever would be, I think, a lot less compelling because we're just looking at the different decks that define the meta, and there's not all this like long tail of interesting novelty.
1: I don't know. Tune in next year for a map of... Oh, I guess it depends on how many modern
0: decks we're pulling. If we're pulling all the decks people have ever entered into a tournament with, I'm sure you will get a long tail of people that are just doing dumb stuff for fun that are not trying to win the tournament, but... That's what Commander's all about, is doing the fun stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't consider myself a super invested Commander player. I have several decks built, but I think one thing that's been kind of emerging in the rhetoric that people use to describe Commander is this idea that Commander is becoming more homogenized, right? And, you know, oh, you know, printing Dockside Extortionist kind of homogenizes the format, which could be true for certain playgroups, right? You know, I, I won't deny that. When powerful cards are printed, people will put them in their decks, and that will tend to reduce diversity. But I think this project at least shows that there is such an incredible amount of diversity that exists within the EDH format, and honestly, I think it's beautiful, right? This is like really the ways that players choose to express themselves, whether that's in designing a competitive deck and and optimizing the the min-max to hit their combo on turn three instead of turn 3.05 right versus like someone that just really likes oxen and wants to design an oxen tribal deck of which currently there is one on the commander map <laughs> <laughs> there's exactly one, one really one lone oxen deck really really um, really making a name for itself you know I think that's awesome right like those are two completely valid ways to play commander two completely valid ways of exploring magic and spending time with with others through this format and so i I think this map is really cool in that respect for me just kind of reminding us of the diversity of the of the format and all of the things that people are doing within it
1: man the oxen map is uh it's kind of a
0: vibe you know the way this map is built like we didn't manually do any of this right so there's tons of things we haven't even explored ourselves and i'm really excited to put this out in the world and see what other people find that we haven't even thought to look for. But, you know, I'm just scrolling around here kind of aimlessly as we're talking, and I, you know, stumbled upon this little cluster of what are Satyr Tribal decks, which mostly are helmed by Gallia of the Endless Dance, which is, I think, maybe the only legendary Seder, or, you know, one of the common legendary Satyrs. But then if you look in here, there's also a Kahiji the Honored One, Omnus Locus of Creation, Garth One-Eye, Morafond deck. These are all different takes on Seder Tribal that are just playing with different commanders at the helm, which is, I know it's all these like layers of things to to unpack. So I agree. I think it's very beautiful. And, you know, if you're not familiar with Lucky Paper and what we care about, this is what we love about Magic, right? We love celebrating the self-expression and the sort of breadth and depth of the community rather than just focusing on tournament results or, you know, whatever. So this is perfectly in line with, I think, all of our values here.
1: Can we talk about triangles for just a minute, just for completeness? Just so, yeah, just, we can, just so we, so we started on triangles, we
2: can end on triangles. So yeah. there are one point two million circles on here, Anthony. How, no, much, no. how Which many? Which means actually there are triangles.
1: no circles. Little do you know, everything <laughs> is, right. is triangles. How many There's triangles no circles exactly anywhere.
2: are we looking at?
1: So we're looking at two point four million triangles because if you want to make a square, you got to have two triangles. So one of the big challenges with this map and one of the reasons that it took so long was just the amount of data. So we made the cube map uh, that's drawn in a certain way, like we described at the top with some of these like more abstract drawing tools.
0: Yeah, we say put a dot here
1: mm-hmm. to some and piece of software and the software
0: has all of this you know stuff inside of it that knows how to put a dot there.
1: It's a lot more complicated than that because I also worked really hard to optimize that as much as possible. That is true. Uh, which, let's just say, if you want me to do a whole episode and just talk about how to optimize drawing canvas uh, Subscribe to plots. Anthony's OnlyFans <laughs> if you want him to do
0: a podcast where he talks about scatterplots and, and shaders. That's, uh,
1: that's an option. Let us know. But... It's really hard to draw that many points quickly. So even on the cube map, it's it's starting to become a little bit of an issue because cube cobra for I mean it's awesome to see is exploding and there are now I think like forty or maybe almost fifty thousand cubes on cube cobra, and that map is starting to get a little slow when you start scrolling around. Just it takes a long time to draw all those points. So. When Jet had this idea, what if we do the same thing for Commander? I said, sounds cool. How much data are we dealing with? Oh, it's I about. I think what
0: you actually said is, that can't be done. There's I too said, many dots. No.
1: <laughs> I said, no. I think I just did the, the crossed arms, no emoji. This is this is just not <laughs> The toasters possible. can't handle it. But then last Christmas, I had the idea, what if we stop using Canvas, draw this directly with WebGL, write our own shaders? Is it possible we could get enough performance out of it? and after a week on vacation because that's how i spent my vacation (laughs) uh, i had a proof of concept to say yes we could make it fast enough so that was like a big part of this journey for me was just it was really fun to learn about this different technology and have the rewarding result of this really powerful visualization which isn't possible uh, at least in a way that you can zoom around and scroll smoothly without learning about these really like critical technological components.
0: Yeah, if we're wrapping this up here, I do want to take a moment to acknowledge both of your incredibly hard work on this. I don't think anybody listening can possibly appreciate how much work has gone into making this thing come to life because like all good software, it is just kind of invisible when you're looking at the final product. You're like, yeah, it works. Of course, it's a map. Everything's obvious and natural. And the amount of work that goes into making that happen is, uh, is not trivial at all. So Jet, for all of your work on the math and making sure that all of these decks and maps are generated in the correct Thousands way. Of and, map files. Yeah, Man. and dealing with all yeah. of the inconsistencies in the data and sort of tackling all of that. And then Anthony figuring out how to solve the technical problem of just, we've got 1.2 million points. We're going to try and show them in a web browser that doesn't even have 1.2 million pixels, really. Well, maybe it does.
1: How many pixels are in a web browser? Depends on how big your screen is.
0: Whatever. You got 1.2 yeah. million points. You're trying to render them all on a screen without making a computer burst into flames and, you know, be janky to scroll around in Zoom. Huge hurdles have been passed. And like I said, we started working on this a year ago. It was like January
2: or February where we like finally started like really working on it. Like you said it was winter break, I think. From from the data perspective, I have to say much the same way. It's been a really interesting process. I remember I had some foundation from the cube map and was like, okay, well, I'll just adjust some of the cube map code to run the commander map. And, you know, when I added the, the submaps, it was crashing my computer. Like when I finally figured out how to make it stop crashing my computer it would like run overnight and be like one fourth of the way through the submaps and i was like well this is not really sustainable cleaning all of the deck lists has been a little bit of an interesting process i you know i have to say i hated partners from just the magic design perspective but now <laughs> definitely i definitely felt some
0: of the pain that i see the scribble developers deal with more. I, this
1: this process really just made me appreciate and respect the scryfall developers so oh, much for you yeah. know every new set and they're dealing not just with like partners and a couple of mechanical things they're dealing with printings and multiple card faces yeah. and all kinds of stuff
2: yeah this and we're getting ready went, to launch and then you, baldur's you, gate announces backgrounds oh and we're like, ah! god i had a primal fear course through my body when i saw what background was i was like oh god like because then you have to go through and you have to like validate the backgrounds and you have to Luckily EDH rec handled them the same as partners, which was fortunate for RN, but having to like sit there and adjust the code to like handle this niche in the context of one point two million commander decks, but semi niche perspective on the on the deck list was was pretty frustrating. But uh, we got there in the end. I mean, I'm sure wizards won't print any other weird mechanics, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, probably not. I'm sure this is gonna be very sustainable. We'll just keep running the yeah, code they're like, every we month. Got, we got enough. We have to change anything anymore, I bet. So yeah, I mean, a huge accomplishment to both of you, and I really hope that everyone out there gets a bunch out of this. It's really exciting to be able to just explore this format in a totally novel way that has not been possible before, where it it sounds dumb, but it comes down to the fact that like, if you're making a website to show Commander decks, you have to have certain ones be at the top of the list or at the top of the grid or whatever, and we've actually taken Every single commander deck list in EDHREC's database, and put them all in one screen, and you know, in a in relative positions that are meaningful that can be explored. So that is just something that hasn't been done before, and I think it's a it's a really awesome resource for the community.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at the map, you're looking at literally every single commander deck at least that EDHREC has has logged, and that's kind of amazing. You can like just just look at them; they're all there.
2: Yeah, and if uh, if folks have any. Uh, ideas for improvements or god forbid if something breaks on the map uh like feel free to let us oh, know things
1: will be broken <laughs> and we should do just one more huge thank you to EDA Trek for sharing this data Absolutely. with them they do an awesome job to the community of just like bringing this data together and analyzing it in so many awesome ways and uh them sharing us this data obviously was critical to us to being able to make this so thank you to them and we should also say a big thank you to Scryfall. It's Almost goes without saying you can't like build a thing with magic without using Scryfall, but they provide all the imagery and a lot of the other data that enriches the map. So thanks so much to all you all all those great efforts. You can join the Scryfall Patreon and there's a programming channel which might be a great spot where you can ask me about triangles.
0: Yeah, this stuff is only possible with tools like Scryfall and EDHREX. So uh yeah, if you if you love the magic community be able to make stuff like this, maybe consider supporting Scryfall on Patreon. Truly the entire magic content creation space is all resting on scryfall so yeah, really is we got to be careful to, to respect and then hold that up because uh, if that goes under you're gonna have a whole lot of websites breaking overnight <laughs> that does it for this episode of lucky paper radio thank you for tuning in all of our music is produced by dj james nasty all the magic cards are made by voices of the coast all the commander decks are made by you and this podcast is made by working on this map for a year plus. I did I looked at the emails. It's like, you know, it's been 15 months, 16 months since we got the actual data, so it's it's been a long time coming. And finally finishing it and launching it to the world. Congratulations, Jet and Anthony. Thanks. I feel I feel good about it. So it's a, it's a pain to thanks from <laughs> Anthony it's funny because we're talking now when it hasn't been released (laughs) yet so you're saying thanks now when this podcast releases who knows you'll be putting out some awful fire on uh, on launch day or something but right now we're still in the calm before the storm. you know